0: The book of Acts chapter number 6, I want to teach on leadership and the title of the lesson is Leading the Way, Leading the Way. Acts chapter 6, I'll read the first four verses. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful again to be able to see these lovely saints. We always count it a privilege that we have a place to come and worship. Across this nation, a number of my good friends, they're not even allowed to have services as of yet. And so we're praying for them. We're praying for the ones that are having to battle this COVID-19 in the southern states and other locations. But God, I pray that you keep each one of us healthy, put a hedge of protection around all of our families. And I pray that you would keep us by your mighty power. And now as I prepare to break the bread of life, give us all ears to hear, help me to speak clearly And whatever may be complex, I pray that you help me to clarify it for these saints. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' mighty name and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. The book of Acts is the story of the beginnings of the early church. And one of the things it teaches us is how Jesus' apostles pretty much governed and led the church in its earliest stages. The church grew quite rapidly. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people accepted Christ. That's a lot of people at one time. Within a few chapters, then you'll see that they had at least 5,000 people that were part of the church, a multitude of folks that loved God. But of course... There are times in the growth of a church where difficulties may occur, and that is when leadership certainly is needed. Now you've probably observed, as I have, if you drive into different towns or visit different churches, spend time with different families, and even if you've been around different businesses, you'll notice that you are observing the fruits of leadership. That's what you're looking at. You drive into a town and that small town, it looks pretty good, it looks pretty clean. You go into another town and maybe they've got dilapidated houses that are standing here and there. You go into a church and you've got bad gutters and dirt and filth and whatever else may be taking place. But all of this is a product of leadership. It's the product of how individuals govern. And when we take in consideration this thing with regard to the church, then we can see you can have a vision for a thing, but you have to be able to move to implementation of the vision. And some people never get that far in their life, they never get that far even in business. So to go from debate to action, That is the singular issue that that distinguishes good leaders, better leaders, and the best leaders from one another. How do we move from just talking about something to actually getting something done? And that is the issue that confronts a lot of people today. They say, we don't know what to do. We send somebody to Capitol Hill, or we vote somebody into a particular office. They have all of these dreams and ideas that they want to do, but then when they get there, they can't get them done. Well, a good leader is supposed to be able to move from talk to action. And a good illustration of that is when Moses had the vision of the the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 25, the Lord said to Moses, build it according to the pattern that I've shown you. It wasn't enough for Moses to have the pattern inside of his heart, he had to be able to take the pattern and show it to people. And as he revealed it to people, then those that were anointed and gifted and talented, they got involved with it. Now this is why I think there are fewer people that go into ministry when they grow up in a minister's household. This is why I think very often there are fewer kids that go into farming when mom and pops are involved with farming or some other business. Just because someone grows up in something does not necessarily mean they're going to enjoy doing the exact same thing. And there have been plenty of young people that grew up on a farm and they observed the hardships and difficulties, the struggles, not having the finances and resources that they wanted. And when they got older, they didn't want to have anything to do with it because mom and dad may not have ever explained to them what it is about it that is such a joy to them. But if you sit them down and explain the pattern and share with them there are dividends, there are rich rewards, and there are blessings for being able to do that, you'll see that some people will continue in the very thing that they have been raised in. I've met a lot of uh, PKs or preacher's kids or missionaries' kids who grew up having to go from church to church and one battle after another in the church and the people hated their parents and drove them out of the ministry and then pretty soon they grew up and they say, I don't want to have anything to do with any kind of ministry. But if somebody could explain to them that it's not nearly as bad as what it seems sometimes. That working for God actually does provide you with a lot of blessings. God opens a number of different doors, gives you access to resources that you may not have access to in other ways. You'll find that some people take the time to pursue the very same path. When you look at Acts chapter six, you can see in verse one it talks about multiplication because that is the plan of God for his church. He does want our fellowships and our churches to grow. He wants to see the number of disciples multiply. How does that occur? By us sharing our faith, by us witnessing to different people, by us letting folks know that Christ is the only answer, and also by being excited about your own church. How many times have you talked to someone and ask them where they go to church, and then they kind of drop their head like they don't want anybody to know. I hear it all the time. I say, well, where do you fellowship at? Then they'll just look at me with a, with a sadness, and I'm thinking to myself, if you're not excited about where you, <clears throat> where you worship, then why should I get excited about where you worship? If you're not excited about the people who you fellowship with, why should I be excited about them? But in this particular chapter here, in verse number one, you can see that with the multiplication of people, very often there's a multiplication of problems. You get two or more people together, you're gonna have differences of opinion. Now, if you're all by yourself and you still can't agree with yourself, you've got a problem. Is there something something wrong? And and, and it reminds me of that gentleman they used to talk about who, somehow got shipwrecked or stranded on an island and he was skillful with his hands and he was able to build stuff and somehow he was able to put together some kind of a hut that that was his church and that's where he went and worshiped and some years later I guess maybe eight or nine years later some rescue rescuers finally got to him and they couldn't believe he'd lasted this long on this island. And so they, they said to him, what did you do? And he explained to them how he subsisted and what he did to, to survive. And they gave him, he gave them a tour of the island. And they were walking around, they, they looked at that building. He said, what's that? He said, well, that's, that's the church I attend. He's the only guy on the island. And they kept walking around the island. He was pointing out a few more things, and they came to another building. It looked like the other building on the other side. They said, what is that building there? He said, that's the church I used to attend. <laughs> well, if, if, if you can't agree with yourself, then that's not a good thing, you know. But leadership emerges when problems arise, and we have to be willing to deal with them as they come. You have 3,000 people, you're gonna have people that say they feel neglected, and that's what happened in chapter six, verse one. No one wants to feel neglected. Everyone wants to feel like they're cared for. Everybody wants a handshake. Most people want to hug. Somebody wants to be greeted. Nobody wants to feel like they've been overlooked. But here you have this issue that was developing, and you have these Jewish background believers and these Gentile background believers, all of them coming together in the kingdom of God, and now we have strife and discord. You know, the true test of leadership is not just how you handle failure, but how you handle success, a lot of people don't handle success very well. As long as they only had a little, they seemed to have been faithful to God, loved God. God opened a few doors and brought a little bit of abundance into their life, and then all of a sudden they moved in an entirely different direction. The test of your character, the test of your Christian experience is how you handle success. We all pray for it. We all ask God to give us a home, to give us a raise, to give us an abundance, to be able to take care of our family. But if God gives you what you desire, how are you gonna handle it when he puts it in your hands? So the ability to handle success is important. My dad used to tell me that the the only thing that separated me when I was bussing tables at a country club, in, in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, as a kid. He said the only thing that separated me from doing that and from a businessman that was making millions of dollars was two or three decisions that I had to make in my life. Two or three. And, and all of us in here. There are three or four main decisions we have to make before we're 25 years of age. And if we make the right decisions, it'll put us on the road to victory. But if you make the wrong decisions, it'll stunt your growth and it'll keep you from ever becoming what you need to become. So the kind of decision that we make. And then once we make the decision to believe that God truly supplies our needs and keeps us. Yeah, he he, he will help you. And you don't have to have a whole lot of funds in order to do something for God, but you do need to have a whole lot of faith. And when I say do something for God, I'm not talking about going into ministry, I'm talking about anything. If you trust God and believe God, if you're willing to take a step of faith and get out on a limb, you'll find that that limb is being held by the arm of God, and he'll take care of you. But fear will keep you from doing those very same things. So a leader comes along or a leader develops in order to help solve problems. Because every challenge is an opportunity to display wisdom. And the scripture makes it very plain here that these problems were so great that it required the apostles to get together and have a conversation with these people. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 12, then I'll quickly read verses 18 through 21, and I'm just still working on that idea that the true test of Christian experience is how you handle success. Luke 12, verse verse number 16, and he spoke a parable to them and said, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because there's no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night your soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which you provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How do you handle success? If God brings abundance into your life, now is not the time to just think about the abundance. Sure, you have to make provision for what the Lord has given to you. But this man never one time said, what more can I do for the synagogue? how can I give a little bit more in the kingdom of God? Would I be able to bless my family? What can I do to help somebody else? He thought specifically about himself, and then at the end he said, rather than working harder and working smarter, I won't work at all. I'll just sit around. Now you know as well as I do, lazy people don't get ahead in God's kingdom. There's that, little story in Proverbs where it said I went by the home of the slothful and saw that it was all grown over with nettles and vegetation and if you're not careful your Christian life can become like that your work experience can become like that you can focus on so many other things that you don't pay attention to the details of things in your life that God has given to you so if you said let's take ease and rest and eat and drink and be merry Or are you the kind of individual that's still busy for the Lord and doing business for the king? That's the key. So a leader emerges in order to solve problems as we see in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. And a good leader is going to help take people and channel those energies into a certain place. Some people have a lot of of energy. Put them to work doing this or put them to work doing that. And I think this is what God does. Do you realize when Jesus went and called all of the disciples, he didn't call anybody that wasn't working. Everybody he called had a job. Everybody he called was busy. He walked by the lake of Galilee and he saw two brothers, James and John. He said, follow me. He saw, he saw Peter and Andrew. He said, follow me. He saw Peter as a tax collector sitting at a table and he's working for the Roman Empire. Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. He understands that somebody with these kind of habits are going to be useful for him in the kingdom of God. But somebody who's lazy on the outside of the kingdom, if God changes their heart and they don't really respond to it the way that they should and renew their minds with the word of God, they'll come into the kingdom of God and be just as lazy. There's no doubt about it. And lots of churches have found that you can't get people active in doing this or doing that. Even in a church where Tiff and I came out of before we came up here, I think Family Worship Center had a thousand people in it. Probably in that church, I think 50 people probably did everything thousand people, probably 50 people did everything. And in the average, in the average fellowship in America, you only have a really s- a small core group of people that actually want to get involved to do this or to do that. From a scriptural standpoint... Thousands of people are here and they said we cannot leave the word of God in order to handle some of these other issues. But he said let's look out for some people who are specially, specially skillful for this. And you can see how the selection process went. So what was the criteria? Well number one we need somebody that's honest. You can't have somebody that is deceitful. Psalm 25, verse 21 says, let integrity preserve me. You have to be willing to do what's right when no one's looking at you. And you have to be willing to be a person of integrity when someone's not looking over your shoulder. If the boss man gives you an assignment, you have to be able to fulfill the assignment even when he's not there and you're all there by yourself. You have to be that kind of a person. You have to be honest about how you handle people's time. I've thought plenty of times that being a treasurer in the church, you have to have honest people. That's a very difficult job to have because a treasurer has to handle the funds, organize checks, deal with tithes and offerings, and then at the same time be loving and cheerful and shake the hands of people and smile at folks even when he knows people in the church aren't faithful. Everybody can't be a treasurer, but some people can I saw a situation one time where a church made someone the treasurer and they had charge of the checkbook. And this particular lady, whenever she was supposed to go out and buy goods and stuff for the church, cleaning products and stuff for the church, she then decided on her own, well, since, you know, she's faithful in the church, she just felt like she ought to be able to buy cleaning products for her home. And the only way they discovered it, because the cleaning products for the church were only costing about $50, $60 a month, but for what she was buying for her house and then later for her friends was costing about $250. See, that's not honesty. See? I I knew a man one time that drove a truck for a company, and the truck, the trucking company, would give him a card so that he could fill up with gas all along his routes across the uh, eastern hemisphere of the United States. And when he got that card, you know what he started doing? He'd tell his friends when he was filling up that semi, he'd tell his friends to come and bring their, their vehicles, their trucks over there, and they could fill up on the company's card. That's not honest, see? That's not honest at all. We know that this stuff goes on, it breaks our heart that this stuff goes on, but this is why in selecting people in the church, he said, you have to have people that are honest. And the psalmist said again, that the integrity of the upright shall guide them. When there's something inside of you that wants to do right, even if you're tempted to go on the wrong path, there's still something in here that's pushing you to do what's on the right path. And the devil, he, he does what he can to pull you out of the way. The integrity of the upright shall guide them. You don't have to be the kind of person that succumbs to every kind of temptation that comes along. Learn to say no. That's a very anointed word, to say no to people. Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 1, that there are people that will stand in the street corners and try to pull you aside over into the darkness, over into crooked alleys and bad pathways in order to do what's wrong. And Proverbs chapter 1 said, I listened and heard the voice of wisdom crying out in the streets every day. Every day it's crying out. So I think a good leader is someone that's going to be honest and we know from Proverbs 19:1, it said, better is the poor that walks in his integrity. See? There's nothing wrong with lacking in material substances, but whatever you have, rich, poor, somewhere in the middle, at least be a person of integrity. Ahab and Jezebel were married. Jezebel's name is infamous. To the degree that even now you don't find families that name their daughters Jezebel. And if you do, you know that somebody didn't know the Bible. But one day there was a gentleman that lived next door to this man Ahab. And he had a beautiful field and his name was Naboth. And the scripture in 1 Kings chapter 21 tells us that it was a beautiful piece of ground, but there were other parcels of ground that were better than this one that was next to the palace. And so Ahab went to Naboth and said, look, I want your land. Will you sell it to me? Naboth said, no, I can't sell the land. It's been in my family for several generations. And besides, the Old Testament law says... If you have land in a certain tribe, it has to remain in that tribe and go to the different families in each generation. Ahab went home and he was in his bedroom sad and unhappy. His wife Jezebel came in and saw him in there crying and said to him, why is your spirit so sad and you're not even eating? He told her what I just told you. She said, well, aren't you the king? Why are you even asking can you have the land? Take the land. And so she sat down and wrote some letters and she signed it with the king's signature and she told these people to go out there and take Naboth and put him and his sons up on trial and lie and say this man said this and say that he said that and bring some witnesses to stand up to confirm the lie that you're telling. That's what they did and the Bible says they stoned the man and his sons Then finally, Jezebel said to her husband, get up and go take the land. I've already done it for you. It's yours now. And of course, God was angry and he sent the prophet to them to declare to them that they would die because of what they did. But here's the point. Here's a man ruling and reigning. He's a leader. His wife is a leader, but they have no integrity, no integrity. If you lie and cheat and steal to get what you want, there's no integrity. And if integrity will guide you into greener pastures, then you have to also know that deceit will take you into barren lands. Yeah. Remember that Ponzi scheme uh, many years ago? I can't even remember the man's name right now. But he lost millions upon millions and millions of dollars. Business people, actors, all kinds of people. They, they saw where they invested this money, and they, they arrested this man, and here he had this big, huge, beautiful building, all of these people in there supposedly working, but on one particular floor. Nobody had access to it but three or four people, and those were the three or four people keeping a whole Ponzi scheme going. Somebody would deposit $50 million. Another person, deposit 100000 He promised them everything only to find out later that the whole thing was a lie why would anyone do that no integrity no integrity if you give someone your word let your word be true the scripture says the promises of god yes and amen but the bible says let our yes be yes and our no be no to be a leader requires that somebody walk in honesty But then you can see also in Acts chapter 6, verse verse number 3, it also speaks about somebody being empowered with the Holy Spirit. Need the power of God, the anointing of God, the fullness of the Holy Ghost in a believer's life in order for that church to be what it needs to be. And the man or woman that's not willing for that grows complacent. There are a lot of people that say, look, look, I've got everything I need in Christ and I don't need anything else. Well, if you don't need anything else, you won't have anything else. But if you make up in your mind you're hungry for God and you're going to press in and you're going to talk to God and say, oh God, I want all that you have for me Endue me with the anointing and the power from on high. Fill me as you did those wonderful people in the scripture. Let it be that Acts chapter 2 kind. Let it be the Acts chapter 10 kind. Let it be the Acts chapter 19 kind. You'll find that God will take you from one place to another. Of all of these people that were selected to be servant leaders in the early church, there was a gentleman by the name of Philip. Philip became one of these. He was served like a deacon, and then pretty soon he was an evangelist by Acts chapter 8. Then by chapter 21 it said that he had four daughters that prophesied. I don't think any of that would have ever happened, had the power of God not come on his life and filled him with the Holy Spirit. He was an evangelist. He was someone called to preach the gospel. He went to Samaria, had revival, healed the sick, and cast out devils. Now, we have, we have different ideas today about what an evangelist is. We say an evangelist is someone who proclaims the good news. I believe that. And we say it's someone who witnesses to people. I believe that. But we think an evangelist is someone who just puts together organized meetings You know, like Billy Graham would do, evangelist Billy Graham, or evangelist so-and-so. And And you get a thousand churches together, and then they fill a stadium with 60,000 people. Then the gospel is preached, and someone, or several people, or hundreds of people come down and give their hearts to the Lord. I'd sit on the edge of my mother's bed as a little boy, and I'd watch the Billy Graham crusades in the evening time, and I was so grateful to see all those people getting saved. But what happens if you can't get a thousand churches to get together? What happens if you can't get a hundred churches to get together? There are a lot of preachers who won't go anywhere and proclaim the word unless they can get a lot of churches together. But the Bible does not say that evangelism is based on getting as many churches to participate. Evangelism is you witnessing to someone. That's what Philip did. Philip went to Samaria right in the cradle of witchcraft and he preached the gospel, and the power of God fell. And He didn't have any other Christians there. There's a place over in West Africa called Benin. They call it the birthplace of witchcraft. I don't know if it is or not, but they just say that it is. I know there's a lot of witchcraft over there. Somebody has to preach the gospel there, too. A lot of churches there. There's a city down in Brazil where they say that back in the 80s, for every For every full gospel church you had in that one particular area, I think it's Brasilia, but for every full gospel church, there were were something like a couple of hundred centers of witchcraft. But somebody has to preach the gospel there. Think about Haiti. It was a country that at one time had been dedicated to evil. But somebody had to go and sow their lives there to proclaim the word of God to people that need to hear it. What is an evangelist? What is a leader? It's somebody empowered by the Holy Spirit that has a desire to reach as many people as possible. Philip did it. He set an example for us. And he's the criteria, not anybody today. Not me, not you, but Philip. He's the one in the word of God. The scripture says in Acts chapter 6, verse number 3 again, it says also that the person who who serves should be someone who's wise. Now, there's a nice story in Ecclesiastes that I want to read. Ecclesiastes is right after your Proverbs there, and I want you to listen as I read verse 13 through 18 in chapter 9. It says, This wisdom I've seen under the sun, and it seems great to me. There was a little city and few people within it. There came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. But there was found in the city a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Poor people are overlooked. They're overlooked because there are a lot of folks in this world that would say, if you're poor, you don't deserve to be heard. But you know as well as I do, it doesn't work that way in the Bible. Scripture says in the Psalms, this poor man cried. and God answered because he heard what he was crying about. It's possible to be poor and still be wise. As this man was, delivered an entire city. You can be a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, and the wisdom of God can yet be in your life. And there have been many people that have probably said all kinds of things to you that put wisdom in your heart that did not have a whole lot of finances. Yeah. And they blessed you. And you're probably further along down the road and better off today because of what you heard someone say didn't have a whole lot. Think back to some of your grandparents think back to your parents if you can remember your great-grandparents look at the legacy look at the memory look at the example that was left they may not have had what other people had but they did leave behind something that has been useful for you so when it comes to this issue of wisdom in a leader a leader doesn't necessarily have to be wealthy Or even in the middle class. I don't even like them Them whole descriptions, wealthy and middle class and lower class. It all sounds socialistic to me. But the whole thing is you don't have to have a lot of resources to be wise is what I'm getting at. Yeah. But on the opposite side, I do want to say that the old proverb in English that we say poor people have poor ways, do you know there's a lot of truth to that? Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a reason that people who come from old money in the New England states are very careful about who their kids marry. Very careful. There's a reason that that people who are raised in, let's say, the, the Warren Buffett house or the home of Bill Gates, their kids and grandkids don't typically end up on welfare. You know why that is? Because of how they're taught and what's put in their mind. There's a reason that growing up as I did in the inner city, I saw kids who were six and seven, their parents were on government assistance, and when they graduated from high school, their parents were still on government assistance. See? Sometimes we have to understand the scripture teaches to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you don't change how you think, you cannot correct bad behavior. We tell people sometimes practice makes perfect, but that's only if you're doing good practice, if you're practicing good habits. Bad habits won't make for anything that's perfect. So sometimes then we can see that what happens amongst the poor It's something that has to be corrected. Now we've got to define what the word poor means because it doesn't mean the same thing everywhere. You know that? Um, Most times when I'm talking about the poor, I'm thinking about the man over in Zimbabwe somewhere who is, has been locked down because of the COVID crisis. And before the COVID crisis, he was living from hand to mouth and barely had any kind of food. And everybody's yelling, stay in, and you're in lockdown, and you can't come out because you're gonna, you might transmit it to somebody. But he doesn't have a choice but to come out because he doesn't have any food at home. Sometimes food forces you out of the house when everybody else is telling you we got a public health crisis. So what am I supposed to do? Die in my house alone or go out and try to get something for my family and my kids? That's what they're doing. So when I think about poor people, those are usually the kind that I'm talking about. I I realize that we've got homeless people in America, you know, but poor families that I run into who consider themselves poor, you know, usually each of those homes has at least one $600 telephone in it, and sometimes four or five $600 telephone, and sometimes a little eight-year-old to have a $600 telephone, but they consider themselves poor. Some of the people that I've met consider themselves poor have a cable bill or a satellite dish bill that's $230 a month, So the word poor is relative to where somebody lives and how they handle their resources that come into their life. But I do know this, even homeless people that live out under a bridge that have three and four dogs that they're taking care of, And the ones that I've met in California who will come out to the car when I'm there and they're washing down the windows and stuff like that. On numerous occasions, the people in the church, at the end of the day, have followed the homeless home only to discover they weren't homeless after all. Some of them actually had apartments. Yeah. Had apartments. And were actually doing better than some of the people in the church. And it was all tax-free. Think about it. The homeless person that's under the bridge, who has experienced one hardship after another, and one difficulty after another, let's not forget a few basic principles. They probably started kindergarten just like you did. And they probably went through elementary school just like you did. And except there were some very harsh circumstances that arose like a mom or a dad or a guardian died and they were left without any close immediate family or something like that, they probably went into junior high and high school just like you did. But somewhere, somewhere in, in, in the middle of all of that, somebody started making a bad decision, one bad decision after another. Could have been drugs. Could have been falling into the wrong crowd. And then little by little, we find ourselves off the path where we should be, and then pretty soon we come into hardship. This is why we need good leaders in our lives, mentors in our lives. The Bible says for our older ladies, you should be examples for the younger women in the church. Older men should be examples for the younger men. That means pass along whatever wisdom you can I realize a lot of young people don't want to hear what older people have to say very often, but there are some young people you'll find that love being around older people. I was one of those. I was one of the exceptions. If, if I could go hang out at my grandma's, that's where I wanted to be. Yeah, I wanted to get right on over there. Grandma would get up on a Saturday morning and make me my favorite breakfast. And I'd have the time of my life eating all them waffles and everything else that she made and then come Sunday morning when I didn't want to go, had no desire to go, she'd make me walk around the block there to her little Baptist church where she attended. And then I'd have to sit there through all of the preaching and the singing and I'd have to watch the ladies dance and shout and then faint. And then I'd have to listen to the preacher with the organ and all of that. And just, just, it was a busy, busy time. But I still have memories of the things she said and she taught. Same thing with my grandpa. Coming up, staying with us. I still remember as a kid, him spending time. Coming up from Alabama just to come spend time with us. And the last trip up, I was 12 or 13. And you imagine that last trip, you talk about hardship, his car was stolen out the backyard, his last trip up to visit us. They recovered the car, got in the car and was driving home to Alabama. Grandpa got in a fatal accident and lost his life. Yeah. I still remember stories, things that that he told, being down there growing up in Alabama. The way we are today has everything to do with the kind of people that have sown wisdom and intelligence in us. And whatever the next generation is going to become, it's going to be based on what we put in them. And we can change anybody's life at any point. They want to listen to what we have to say when it comes to scripture. And you can change anybody's life when they take the time to ask you some basic questions. How did you get from point A to point B despite all the struggles and stuff that you had here? You realize the first year I got out of the military, believing God called me to go into the ministry, I only made $6,000 that year. $6,000. $6,000, you can't even file taxes on $6,000. $6,000, you go in there and try to file taxes, they'll tell you the government wants to give you money to help you. Yeah. But that year, I traveled all throughout Europe and the Middle East and went to more than 10 countries. Never lacked anything. All I'm telling you is that if we have the right people positioned in our life, we'll be able to accomplish whatever God wants us to accomplish. And I have no doubt that what God begins, he'll conclude if we stick our hands up and let him stick his hand down and grab and lead us. Amen? There's no doubt about it, folks. Come on, let's stand. Praise God. Praise God. It's a great day to be alive if you're alive. We're so happy that God has given us an opportunity to fellowship all you lovely people out there in the parking lot. We praise God for you every day. We pray for you often, and we want God to continue to lead and guide you and bless you and enrich you. So, Lord, we are happy today that you have provided us one more occasion to fellowship with the saints. And Father, we know these are strange times, but you're not a strange God. But we know your favor and your loving kindness is upon us. Help us to walk in love. Help us to walk in forgiveness. Help us to walk in understanding. And I pray, God, give us a vision to get where you want us to be. And then, God, make provision for all the things that we're believing you for. This we pray for in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.